Well, good evening. Before we get into the lesson, I want to say that uh, our two services concept has worked very well. I appreciate you being patient. Uh, there has only been probably one Sunday where we could have comfortably fit everyone in here. Other than that, it's been good that we've had the two services. I know it's not ideal. I know the best thing would be that we all are together under one roof worshiping God. And one of the pitfalls is that I don't get a chance to mingle and to uh, kind of congregate with you afterwards, especially on Sunday morning. So I want to propose something to you. For the next few Sundays at 4 o'clock in the special, event, in special events room, that's what it's called, right? Special events room. If you want to come up here, hopefully somebody will show up that can make some coffee, and let's just, let's just visit. How about that? We are a growing congregation, and I want to, I want to keep up with people. I want, to, I want to get time to talk with you, and, and I don't always get that opportunity. So if you feel like you want to, show up at 4 o'clock, a little bit earlier, and we'll sit in the family center in the special events room. And we'll talk and get to know each other a little better. And not just me, maybe, you know, the rest of you get to know each other a little better as well. And uh, hopefully that kind of soothes this problem a little bit because it's bothered me. I don't know if it's bothered anybody else, but it bothers me that I don't always have an opportunity to get to meet and greet everyone. And certainly don't have to. It's not mandatory. But if you want to come up at 4 o'clock, uh, we can do that. Drink some coffee and talk. Um. One of the nice things about playing football is that it gave me an outlet. I was going through some difficult times. Uh, my mother and father had divorced when I was a junior in high school. It gave me an opportunity to release some frustration, even some aggression. In fact, the coach agreed that that was a good thing. You know, it was legal. He would get in your face and he would rile you up so that you would go out onto the field and take somebody's head off. I mean, Football is all about testosterone and aggression, isn't it? And even though the measures have been taken that, in my belief, have sissified the game, um, we watch football and we play football for the big hit. That's what we want to see. And football is just a microcosm of our world, really. I had coaches that would use war analogies to associate with football and stepping out onto the field of battle, they would say things like soldiers going into battle or putting on the armor, meaning your, your shoulder pads and your helmet and all those things. The offensive line versus the defensive line is called the battle in the trenches, right? And I had coaches would say, this is war, men. And I would think, eh, not really. Now, my grandfather fought in World War II. I think he'd beg to differ. But this is a microcosm of our world. Life is a competition. Second place is the first loser. You better look out for yourself. You better assert your will. You better dominate. I'm not leading that, so you better not put it up there, Luke. <laughs> this is our world, right? I mean, you do everything you can to oppose your will and to dominate, impose your will and dominate because that's what it's all about, and that's how you win. That's how you get ahead. The meek don't score touchdowns. The meek don't win games. But here's the deal. The world has it all wrong. And hopefully if you didn't get anything out of the message this morning, you got that. The world has it all wrong. The world doesn't understand meekness. And, and by the way, many Christians don't either. Meekness 
may not lead to success on the football field, but that's all right because we're, we're involved in something much bigger than a game, right? When it comes to the game of life, only the meek will win. We looked at Psalm 37 this morning. Let's go back to it. Psalm 37, starting in verse 7. Now, we said this is a song. It's a song whose message is evil will not win. That's the basic premise of this song. That's what this this song is all about, and that's why it's so important to Israel. It was important for them to remind each other that someday evil will be vanquished. And guess who will be left? When the evil is wiped out, guess who will be left standing? The meek. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. I want you to notice some key phrases here. Do not fret. Trust in the Lord and do good. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Why? Why shouldn't we worry? Why shouldn't we fret? Why shouldn't we take matters into our own hands? Why commit to the Lord? Because in just a little while, the wicked will be no more. And who's going to be left? Yeah, the meek. Those who trust in the Lord and do good. They're going to inherit the land. What land? Well, the land that was promised to them. Verse 29, the righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The Israelites are singing to remind themselves that God's got this. This is a hymn of encouragement. There were times in the life of the Israelites that seemed as though death, evil was winning. And there were times... When it seems that way for us, there are times when we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. There are times when we want to seek justice. We want to seek retribution. And so we want to impose our will and we want to enact justice and wrath. And God says, that's not your responsibility. That's not what you're supposed to do. That doesn't mean you have to be a pacifist. It just means the realm of justice and wrath, that's that's my part. And someday all evil will be vanquished. Someday, all that's going to be left are the true followers of Christ. Anger often leads to ungodliness. When you get angry, you typically do things that are unrighteous, unholy. And so that's why God says, leave the anger and the wrath and and all of that to me. That's my business. That's my realm. You simply delight yourself in the Lord and do good. Now, like we said this morning, the long haul view is in mind here. So we've got to look at the bigger picture, right? That's what's being sold to the Israelites, and that's, that's what's got to be sold to us. That's what we've got to buy into. The long-haul view is in mind. And I bring this up because it's so easy to take a passage like, say, Psalm 37, verse 4, like we read this morning. It's so easy to take a verse out of context and twist it and apply it in a way that was never meant to be applied. I was flipping through the channels not long ago and Oprah was on with Stephen Colbert on this late show and I don't typically watch TV that late but uh, for whatever reason I was tuning in and I didn't realize this but Stephen Colbert apparently is an ordained minister and uh, he was talking about his favorite Bible verse. 
So I thought, well, this piques my interest. And so he said his favorite Bible verse is found in Matthew. He says, um, where Jesus says, do not worry, for who among you by worrying could change a hair on his head or add a cubit to the span of his life? He said, what I like about this is it's a commandment not to worry, and I'll go with that. So then Oprah said her favorite verse is Psalm 37, verse 4. So that really piqued my interest because I'm working on this lesson, right? And she talks about how Lord, in her mind, has a wide range. What is Lord? Compassion, love, forgiveness, kindness, she says. So you delight yourself in those virtues where the character of the Lord is revealed. Delight thyself in goodness, delight thyself in love, kindness, and compassion, and you will receive the desires of your heart. It says to me, if you focus on being a force for good, good things will come to you. Now, I'm not bashing Stephen Colbert or Oprah. I I personally am glad that they were talking about Scripture when there's so much filth on TV anyway. But what happens all too often is we take a, a passage or a verse out of context and we apply it in a way that was never meant to be applied and we turn it into bumper sticker theology or we call them life verses and we tattoo them on our body somewhere and we live by these when they're not really even meant to say what we think they say. You know, I appreciate what Oprah said about this verse. I just don't agree with how it's applied so many times. This is not about giving you the desires of your heart. This is not about prosperity in a physical sense. This was, this was for these Israelites to sing to remind them that God has got this. Let him be in control. Let him be in charge. It was about future glory. There's a long-haul view in mind here. These things weren't going to happen immediately. They weren't going to happen the next day. But in the end, they weren't to fret because they would win. Now, who is the enemy that God would defeat? Who is David referencing? Who's the wicked that David references here? We don't get a proper name, do we? Now, I think there's a reason for that. I think the reason we don't get a proper name is because maybe God in his infinite wisdom wanted us to maybe apply this to our own lives as well, to take the principle and apply it to our lives. You know, I like country music, and there's a country song, I think it's by Rascal Flatts, called Backwards. And it says, when you play a country song backwards, you get your house back, you get your dog back, you get your best friend Jack back, you get your truck back, you get your hair back, you get your first and second jobs back, and it goes on from there. Of course, it's making fun of how so many country songs lament how I lost my job, I lost my wife or my girlfriend, I lost my dog. Why do you think country songs resonate with people? Why do you think that message so often resonates with people? Well, because, I mean, it's real life. So many people can relate to that. It's not specific. It, it, you know, it doesn't name a person or a proper name specifically. And maybe that's so that we can relate. And maybe that's why David didn't mention a proper name himself. In his infinite wisdom, God knew that he had more than the Israelites in mind. Look at verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Now, we already know that Psalm 37 is where Jesus pulled from when he mentioned the Beatitudes in Matthew 5 and 5. So obviously, our Lord meant there to be application beyond just the Israelites. But you know what the Hebrew word for meek is? You know what the Hebrew word for meek is in verse 11 of Psalm 37? It's the word anav. And you know what anav means? It means poor. 
It means afflicted. It means humble. As we said this morning, meekness presupposes an enemy. Meekness assumes that there will be adversity or opposition. Meekness doesn't really exist in the absence of affliction. It's an attitude, it's an orientation towards the adversity that is going on around a person. You see, we often hear people say, meekness isn't weakness, but you know what? The meek are often weak. We see it here. Verse 14, the wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Who were the needy? The Anav. They were the poor. They were the needy. In fact, Anav can mean those things as well, right? We already said it means a poor and afflicted. It can mean needy as well. We talked about this morning. We read the story of Gideon going into battle, being outnumbered 450 to 1 and slaying the Midianites. We read about Joshua killing all the ites, right? And we, we hear about, you know, David destroying Goliath and lopping off his head. And we think, I want to be that. I want to be Joshua. I want to be David. I want to be Gideon. I want to be the superhero. When in reality, if you were living in that time, that's probably not who you'd be. That wouldn't be who you'd be. You'd be standing on the sidelines. You'd be Joe Israelite, as, as Sam called him in our podcast. That's who you would be. You'd just be average Joe standing on the sidelines. You would be the one that's poor and afflicted and needy, the one who is being mocked and taunted by Goliath or whatever the situation may be. You would be the one standing off to the side. The truth of the matter is sometimes there's nothing you can do. The truth of the matter is, sometimes you're afflicted, sometimes you're poor and needy, and what do, you though, what do you do in those times? Here's what you don't do. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Israel is cautioned to not take matters into their own hands because that leads to acting in ways that is unrighteous and unholy. Plus, God's handling it. And he didn't need their help. He doesn't need our help. He's got this. I love verses 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him, but the Lord laughs at the wicked for he sees that his day is coming. You know, the wicked, the evil, they come up with all these schemes and plans and strategies and how they're going to defeat the good. And you know what God does? He laughs. It's humorous to him. You know why? Because he knows how this is going to turn out. Spoiler alert, he wins, right? In the end... He wins, which means the Anav win. The poor, the needy, the afflicted. It's kind of like when Blake and Jake pick on me all day. I just laugh because I know they're going to get theirs. <laughs> Actually, that's not true. We all just pick on Brianna. But <laughs> Notice how God's people are to respond. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. So that's it? <laughs> I mean, wait, really? That's, that's all that's involved here is I just sit and wait? I mean, that sounds so passive. No, that's faithful. It's not passive. That's faithfulness. That's trusting. That's meek. And here's why that works. Turn away from evil and do good, verse 27, so you shall dwell forever. 
For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Both parties have a job to do. Our job is to do good and trust in the Lord. Our job is not justice. And justice isn't just about punishment. Justice doesn't only pertain to the wicked. It also pertains to lifting up the righteous. We wait for justice and the wicked to be cut off, but we also wait for justice so that the righteous will be exalted. The message to the meek is that the enemy's ruin is inevitable. The wicked will not prevail. The affliction will not go on forever. The anav will not be defeated. It may seem like the wicked are winning right here, right now, but they're not. Because in the end, all evil will be vanquished, and you know who will be left? Are you keeping up? The meek, the anav. Fret yourself, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil desires." This hymn reminds me of another hymn. Maybe it does you too. I'd like to sing that other hymn. Clyde's going to lead it for us, at least the first and last verse. Pay attention to the words as the Anav listen as Clyde and we all sing. This is our story, right? Israel's story is our story. The Anav is us, the meek, right? A foretaste of glory divine, perfect submission, watching and waiting, filled with goodness. 
We wait patiently. We allow God to work. We do good. I see the similarities, don't you? This hymn is not all that different than the one that was sung by the Israelites. Their song is our song. Their story is our stories. And ours may have a different tune and a little bit of different tone to it. But the song is the same. We are the anav. We are the poor, the afflicted, the needy because we have an enemy, do we not? What is the name of our enemy? Well, some people call it, some people call it death. Some people call it sickness. And it's easy to look at death and sickness in our world today and assume that the enemy is winning. Every time we pass a funeral procession, it's easy to say, well, death claimed another victory. Every time we drive by a cemetery, it's easy to say, well, death wins again. We even use it in our language. We say something like, well, yeah, Alzheimer's what got him in the end. No, no, Alzheimer's didn't get him. Death did not win. Well, they lost their battle with cancer. No, they didn't. The Anav never lose. They don't lose their battle with cancer or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or whatever the sickness may be. Whether they're a victim of a mass shooting or, or the victim of some sort of uh, natural disaster, the Anav always win. Because we are on God's side. Because God always comes through. We want the people who do evil in our world to pay. We want, we want death to be rid of completely forever. And it will be someday. Someday all evil will be vanquished. The curse will be lifted. And the Anav will live in the land forever. With their God. Forever. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in His way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. We are the Anav. Their story is our story. This is our hymn. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in Him. And anything that God says, you can take it to the bank, right? Because it's going to happen. The sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Look. My fellow Anav, I know it seems like the wicked are winning. I know it seems like death is in control. I know it seems like the enemy is the victor. But hear me out. It will not always be this way. It won't. It will not always be this way. The wicked will perish. Death will die. And the meek will win. But for now... Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. The enemy may seem like he's winning, 
but he's not. The meek shall reign and rule with our God forever. We've just got to wait, and we've got to wait patiently, and I would encourage you to add to your daily prayers, Lord, come quickly. And I would encourage you to be ready in case that happens, right? As the Anav, as the meek, we allow God to be in control, and we focus on the things that make for faithful discipleship. Do that as you go throughout this week. Be a people who show the world what meekness looks like. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this group of Christians that meets here at the Oldham Lane Church of Christ. We thank you for your church. We thank you for all the wonderful blessings that you have bestowed upon us. We thank you for the hope that is on the horizon. The fact that no matter how bad it gets here, no matter what we may deal with in this life, that we know that death will not win. That one day, like Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, we will walk out of that tomb. That we have so much hope that evil will not win, that death will be defeated, and that we will spend eternity with our Heavenly Father. God, help us to wait patiently. Help us to be like Jesus so that when Jesus returns, he finds us being like Jesus. Lord, come quickly. Maranatha, Lord, come quickly. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. I know that uh, we have a lot of folks that are dealing with difficulties. And I know there are a lot of folks that we don't even know what your difficulty is. And that's okay. If you want to you want to keep that close to you, that's fine. But if you want some help, if you want the prayers of this church family, if you need, if you need to get back on track, if you need to take that step in baptism and begin a daily walk with God, whatever your need is, meet the need. Don't leave here tonight without being right with God. If we can help you, why don't you come while we stand and sing?